We've had some, uh, let's see if we can bring me down a little bit. We've had some, we've had some heavy weeks of teaching recently, wouldn't you say? I mean, we've been going over, uh, been told to be light and salt. We've talked about forgiveness. We've talked about anger and lust and divorce. We've talked about not storing up our treasures here. So I'd like to tell you we're going to take a week off, but we're not. But hopefully, I think as Jesus perfectly blends the weight of his message to these people, he also intervenes with hope. He almost takes a pause and says, what are you going to do with all this? Now, is this topic of anxiety and, and worry, is it relevant today? Okay, I think it is. Yeah. See, I love it when the gospel and when the Bible actually is relevant and teaches me something about today. I love the history, and I, and I love the future hope, but can I get something for today? Can I get something that's just going to get me through today? See, the Bible isn't, isn't slack here either. Jesus knows where you live. He knows what you're dealing with. We just sometimes have to take a, a closer look at what he's saying. So let's, talk, let's look and see if this is a real issue today. Anxiety disorders are the most common type of mental illness, affecting 40 million adults, 18% of the population. People with anxiety are also five times more likely to go to the doctor and six times more likely to be hospitalized for other psychiatric conditions than those who do not suffer from disorders, anxiety disorders. And finally, now, they develop from a complex set of risk factors, genetics, brain types, your personality, and also traumatic life events. All these things can affect your anxiety. What we're going to focus on today isn't even about people that have a disorder level. Now, this teaching can help you too. If that's where you live and you exist and you have a diagnosed disorder of anxiety, this teaching is also for you. But don't check out thinking, well, I'm not, I haven't been diagnosed to anxious. My, my husband says I am, but he's no doctor. She used to say that to me, but I'm just, I'm just, just threw that in. Being anxious doesn't give you disorder. But I would say that 100% of us suffer sometimes from being too anxious. We doubt whether God's going to provide. Is that a fair statement? Okay. So, by the way, these are from the... Uh, Anxiety and Depression, Depression Association of America. There's so many of us that struggle with anxiety, they had to form an association to keep track of us and help us out. It's pretty universal, folks, and I want to tell you, it's going to get worse. Because as the world continues to look to the world for its solutions, it's going to keep coming up on empty. It's going to make them more anxious and more depressed. But first, we have to practice the answer so we can be a light into that darkness. So let's pick up our reading in our Sermon on the Mount at Matthew 6, starting at verse 25. Now, Pam is going to read from her NIV. What's up on the screen happens to be the ESV. If you just want to close your eyes and listen, that's cool too. Whatever works. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Most of us would say, of course not, right? So then why do we keep worrying? There must be something else that's driving the train. If I know that worry doesn't help solve the problem and doesn't make me feel better, what's driving the train? We'll take a look at a couple reasons. One, number one, sometimes we get stuck in the past. The reason I'm worrying about my present or worrying about my future is because my past is still running in my head. We also get confused by the definition, definition of being responsible. Some of us think, well, I worry because I'm responsible. The reason I worry is because I care. No, no, no. Jesus cared, but he didn't worry. See, some of us think that my, it's my definition of showing that, that you're important to me. I'm going to worry about things. Actually, I think most of our worry and anxiety comes because we can't, we can't imagine giving somebody else control of the outcome of my life. I cannot give somebody else control of the outcome, not just of my life, but of your life. If I'm married to you or you're my child or my grandchild, I need you to be okay. And I'm going to worry about you and I'm going to think about you and I'm going to try to do everything I can to keep you safe because maybe then I'll feel okay. How many of you know that more we worry, the more anxious I get? Okay, so maybe today we can commit to that strategy doesn't work. I may fall into it, but I'm not going to chase it because it doesn't work. I know a little girl very well who, when she was about 10 years old, one of her favorite after-school after school, uh, practices was to go visit the good humor man who came in her neighborhood. Y'all know who the good humor man is? See, if you're over 30, you probably do under. It's probably on a commercial somewhere. They literally, young people, they literally used to drive ice cream trucks into your neighborhood and park in front of your house and ring a bell. That's awesome. <laughs> so, so this little girl's favorite, because she had her act together even at 9, 10 years old. She would get her quarter. She'd have her money. She would go run out and meet him and get her favorite ice cream. But on one day, her little bratty sister ran up who never had any money with her and said, I want an ice cream. And being the responsible sister that she was, she bought her little sister an ice cream and watched the good humor man, drive away empty-handed. And somewhere in that little girl's mind, she never forgot that moment. And 40-plus years later, she's had money in her pocket every day. Every day. Because that memory and that feeling stayed with her, and she made a plan that hey, ain't never going to happen again. Now, I'm not saying that's sinful. I'm just utilizing it as a reference to how powerful those old moments can be that make me anxious when I try to figure out my future. If any of you have grown up hungry, 
or you didn't know where your next meal was coming from. See, I can't say that. I, I grew up in a restaurant. There was too much food in my house. So that wasn't my thing. But, but that doesn't mean it wasn't your thing and it wasn't important. There's a story of children in World War II, toward the end of World War II, in orphanages where, where the parents had been killed and they collected these children and many of them had not been eating well for months. Well, they were fed in the orphanages. They were beginning to put weight on and they were getting healthier. But what they found is they couldn't sleep. And finally, someone put together the reason they couldn't sleep is because they were afraid of waking up hungry. So someone had the bright idea to break up pieces of bread and give it to each child and tell them to lay it beside their pillow. So when you wake up, you always have bread. And it worked. Now, on a larger scale, we try to do this, don't we? I'm going to arrange my life and set things up so that I got everything covered. The problem is we can't ever set things up enough, can we? There's always something left. See, the enemy uses this, this very, uh, it's a very simple tool that he uses, but it's powerful. All he has to do is remind me of a time in my past when I didn't have enough, when I was afraid, when I was anxious, when I was lonely, when I felt alone. If he can remind me of that, he will steal my ability to think and reason. We have an enemy who wants to steal your joy. Turn to your neighbor and say, he wants to steal my joy. He wants to steal my joy. See, if we don't, you got, turn to your neighbor and say, he wants to steal my, okay. <laughs> See, we got to take it from a me to an outside of us, because some of the influences come from outside of us. Jesus wasn't talking about people who were being selfish. He talked about, he, he had already talked about putting up your treasures. Now he's talking about your provision. Don't, don't think that I won't provide for you. Every time we have that situation or pass, it literally produces real estate in my limbic system. Now, God, God designed this in our brains so that we would stay alert and stay safe. But the enemy corrupts it. He takes that scary moment from the past and said, yeah, but it's going to happen again. Watch this. We have to turn our minds to someone and to something that is more permanent or we'll just get stuck in, in, in the anxious thought. How many of you are brave enough to say, I struggle with anxious thoughts? Okay, I'm not talking about diagnosis here. I'm just talking about life, right? The people of Jesus' day, who he's talking to, I imagine that they were anxious people. He's talking to people who struggled every day to eat and to be clothed. And they couldn't go to the Romans for help. They couldn't go to their religious leaders. I imagine some of them were wondering, where is God? I thought we were the chosen people. Which leads to the second reason that I think we get anxious. We underestimate him. See, the idea of a loving, caring provider God for the people of Judea, those that was a foreign concept. They had not heard from their God in a prophetic message of encouragement for 400 years. Now think about that. That would take us back to the 1600s, 1700s. If you hadn't heard an encouraging word from God 
in 400 years, you might think that you're in a long-term discipline. That's what happened to Israel sometimes. They were in a long-term discipline. Israel, those people that had no economic power, they had no military power, and their leaders only preached about a God who was judgmental and punishing. Some of you grew up in that church. Some of you grew up in that belief system that the only God you know is a God of punishment. There is no hope other than your best effort. And I'm here to tell you that's a false gospel. By the same token, I will tell you it is a false gospel to say that whatever you wish for, you're going to get. So we got to learn to live somewhere in between. See, these people... In his day, they had underestimated God because they forgot the words of Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord. I'm the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? See, sometimes we think what we're facing is too much. It's too much for God. Now, we don't think that consciously, but we're thinking he's got more important things to do. Well, see, now you're questioning whether or not he actually cares. Does he care for what happens to me? See, Jeremiah also said a few chapters earlier, I have plans for you. I have plans not to harm you, but to prosper you. God's plan ultimately is always for us to proper, to, to prosper emotionally and mentally. But then he says to trust me while I'm prospering you. To where I'm getting you to a place, the most important thing to me is that you trust me in all things. And I may have to take you through some hard times for training. How many of you are in training? <laughs> Does he care enough? Let's read the next scriptures. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Hmm. You know, it just struck me. You know who else was listening to this message along with the people, some of the Pharisees? So some people worried about what they were going to literally have to wear tomorrow, and the Pharisees were worried about what they were going to wear tomorrow. So when he said even the pagans worry after these things, he was talking to two audiences simultaneously. Don't be like the pagans. Don't worry if you got the latest kicks or the latest, you know, latest style, whatever. That's what the world does. When you see pagans of those days, I'm sorry, Gentiles, Gentiles is the word he used. But it's the same philosophy in that the Gentiles sought after the world and sought after their own stuff. But he was telling these people, do you know how much I care for you? Do you think God cares literally whether you have clothing tomorrow on your back? Yes? Well, if you need reassurance, 
Go back all the way to the beginning in Genesis. Immediately after Adam and Eve had made that fateful decision to choose the fruit against what God had said, one of the first emotions we see after the fall is shame and anxiety, fear. Will God take care of me? Remember that? The first thing they did was hide, which is kind of comical. It's like us trying to hide from God. He's, he knows everything, right? He's here. But in their worst moment, in their shameful moment, when they deserved to be killed, he showed a mercy. Now, there were consequences for their choices. He said, you're going to have to leave here, but I, leave with, I go with you wherever you go. So for provision, he literally, as Scripture says, the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and clothed them. He made sure that when they went out into the wilderness, into the new life that they didn't know, he put clothes on their back. He killed and sacrificed an animal that they would have clothing. And guess what else he was doing? He was teaching them how to clothe their children right up until this day. In one lesson, God taught every generation of man how to clothe yourselves. So when I say we need to just trust God, I'm not saying we don't participate in the plan. Sometimes God has to show us, but then we have to show up. That's a whole different teaching. I'll let Eric take care of that one sometime. Does, does, he, love, does he love us enough to care? Throughout man's history and our personal history, God has made provision for us. Wow, I didn't move on that one. Sometimes we don't even know it was him. How many of you have had a blessing show up? And it was God. You didn't even know it was coming. Sometimes he does it when we weren't even praying for it. That's because he cares. David wrote, I trust in your unfailing love. The Lord has been good to me. I know that everybody in this room has a different story. And some of you are in a, in a hard place right now. But I dare you to say that God has not been good to you in some way. If you look long enough, you will find his goodness. Which goes to the final reason, I think, and there's lots more, guys. I'm just narrowing it down for one sermon. The reason that I struggle with anxious thoughts and trying to figure things out is because I refuse to trust. I refuse to trust somebody else with my life and my decisions. Now, some of that's based in former fears of, of being let down, but some of it's just based in a, in a, in a rooted pridefulness. The same thing that struck Adam and Eve. They're going to do what they want to do because it seems like the right thing to do. Trusting God is a thing. The psalmist said, in God, I will trust. I will not be afraid. It's a decision of our will. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We've got to take our mind from incessantly looking at the problem and the what ifs and the what ifs and look to Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. I don't know if I can trust him, Lord, help my faith. I don't know if he's going to show up, Lord, I need you. We literally have to train our brain that when I'm anxious, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm confused, where are you going to go? 
You either go to, you're going to go here, you're going to go to the world, or you're going to go up. We get to choose which direction we go. It's not just a Jesus thing. It ends up being a brain thing. It's in our design. Have you ever noticed when you've been thinking about something for a long time or you're worried or you're trying to, trying to come up with the right answer, have you ever noticed that when you finally make a decision, doesn't it feel like something lifted? Now, just so you know, the decision you made actually didn't solve anything. The only thing that changed is how you feel about your circumstance. Making the decision doesn't guarantee the outcome. But I can decide that I'm not in charge of the outcome. I'm going to be a part of his plan because he already has a plan. My job is to connect with his plan. And I know I'm preaching this to you right now with full confidence. And I'm trying to live it. I know it's true. And I still need help living it out. But I thank God for his truth because at least I know what I'm shooting for. Sometimes our own intelligence is our worst enemy. It keeps us spinning in solutions. When God is saying, look to me, child. Look to me. I have your answer. Quiet yourself. Stop the spinning. Meditate. Listen to my word. Worship. Whatever. Get by yourself. But come unto me, the author and finisher of her faith. I have the answer for you. And finally. But. But. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. When I read this again in preparation last couple weeks, I really felt like this, this, these last two statements are the culmination, almost like taking a breath, from all of the to-dos that Jesus has given us. See, we gotta have somewhere to go with all this, this list of to-dos, to forgive, to, to not store up our treasures, watch your lust, watch your anger, don't think ill of your, of, your, of your fellow man. There's all these, maybe it's just me. I, I can feel like they're a to-do list. And then I get reminded of how often I fail. And then I can just spin in my own foolishness. Like, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I, I, guess, I thought I was yesterday, but I mean, that's how deep it can run. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. He, he takes a break and he says, but stop. But, remember, look, he says, but. Look to me. Come to me. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Now, that's a broad statement, right? Seek first the kingdom of God. Trusting in God doesn't mean I'm not allowed to think through a plan. Now, I have to say that a lot of husbands that come in my office, I'm not calling any names out. I'm just in a broad sense. There's a lot of husbands who come in with anxious wives. She's anxious because he won't do anything about what she's anxious about. No amens on that one. <laughs> but the husband 
Like, look, I keep telling her, she's got to stop worrying. She drives me crazy with this worry. I said, well, what's your response to it? I tell her to stop worrying. Now, in doing this, I'm not just throwing husbands under the bus because there, there, there's a team here. Some of, some of the spouse's anxiety has got to be shared with God and trusting him. Well, maybe she's trusting on her husband to fix something too much. By the same token, when he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, that doesn't mean, I don't want to hear it. I'm trusting God. I don't want to hear it. Don't talk to me. I'm trusting God. Praise Jesus. Woman, get, you need to get filled with the Spirit. Come on now. Now, look, nobody in this, maybe nobody in here has done it, but I've had that happen in my office. To my response is, okay, whoa, brother. <laughs> we have to take the entirety of the word, right? To seek God and his kingdom does not mean I'm so spiritually minded that I'm no earthly good. Sometimes I got to go out and get a job. Sometimes I got to get up off the couch and take out the trash. Here's one for you. If your spouse, and this could be husband or wife, if they're anxious about your children's friendships or they're anxious about how your kids are spending your time, then go talk to your kids. Don't let that one slip by. You trust Jesus for their future, but he's calling us to love them in the present as well. We got to know what to step into and what we're not responsible for. He's given us tremendous capabilities and ideas and talents. He wants us to engage in our thinking. The, the, unfortunately, we can use all these talents to try to create our own little world. We will never be enough to take care of all the problems. It's okay to have a plan. It's okay to reason together. That's what scripture says. Come, let us reason together. You talk through the plan of your finances, of your clothing, of your retirements. You talk through these things. You pray through them. You trust God and you make a plan. It's not an either or. Just make sure the plan is, your plan lines up with his plan. The plan is never to be our God. Some of the most successful people in the world put their mind to a plan and they stuck with it and they never deviated from it. Well, good for them. The problem, if you look at some of their lives, they got nothing else to show for it. They gained a fortune and lost their family. So it's important not to, for the plan not to be a refuge. God is our refuge. If we don't understand these verses, these last two verses, we're going to end up in a works mentality. Trying hard and feeling like I'm falling short. So what is the kingdom of God? Is it a place? Yes. Absolutely. It's our eternal home in heaven. And I was just handed moments before I came up to speak, if you want to know what heaven looks like, this is Brantley's picture of heaven. Big picture, big guy's Jesus. I was good to see that, of heaven. They know Jesus lives in heaven, Right? But sometimes here's what the five-year-old may not realize. Is the kingdom of God more than just a place? Is it just heaven? Absolutely. It's the presence of Jesus. This morning we've been in the, we are in the, the kingdom of God. 
Not just because we're in a church building. We're in the kingdom of God because of the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Luke 17, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, it, look, it is here or it is there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Remember what John said, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Is he the focus of our energies and, and our worry? If we're going to worry about something, we should be more worried about looking like Jesus than worried about not having enough. Not that we should worry about that either, but we need to seek him and his righteousness. So as I'm closing up here, to live in his kingdom consistently, we must remember that we are kingdom kids. If you've accepted Christ as your savior, or even as you're on this journey of understanding how to work it out, if you have asked him into your heart and asked him for the forgiveness of your sin, and you believe his testimony of the cross, of, of resurrected life, if you believe that, you're one of his kids. He calls you his child. Now, the world would like to think that everybody is God's children. I don't think that agrees with Scripture. Everybody is God's creation. It doesn't mean he doesn't also love them, but as a child, I have special privilege. I have inheritance. I have consideration. He gives us consideration above all others who have forsaken him, but for those who come to him, he walks with us. Hear the difference? When our daily needs become anxious thoughts, we must follow the king. Choose to do what he would do. Make wise and righteous decisions. Now, if you get too rung up and you get too anxious, maybe you got to go somewhere and be quiet and calm down. Maybe you got to hear a good worship song and calm down. Then go about making righteous decisions. This is how life is. There's no magic formula, folks. If there is, let me know. Because this is how I'm going to try to live the rest of my life. When anxiety is rising, and if I, if I feel anything hitting about a 5 or a 6 out of 10... I must go and be alone with my father. I must go and be alone with my father because he will bring you peace. He will bring you some level of, of safety and say, we're gonna get through this, son. How about if you try this? He may give you new ideas you never even thought about, but you must choose to go and be quiet as you trust him in every word that he says. We must replace every anxious thought with his precious word. Let's pray. Father God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we're asking you to do something in this place this morning that is new. We know that you don't put new wine into old wineskins, so we ask you to breathe something new into us, a new attitude, a new heart, a new determination, maybe even, maybe even a new willingness to release unto you. Whatever we give up to you, Lord, we know that you are faithful, that your promises are true. So we want to remember Jesus, you in the garden, who was most anxious, most anxious as we come up and, and share in the remembrance of that event.
We thank you that in your anxiousness you prayed and you prayed and you asked others to pray and you continue to pray unto obedience, not my will but your will. Lord, help us to make this a way of life in every aspect of our being. In Jesus' name, amen.